the gift of tongues is weird. Um, it's about the weirdest thing you get in Christianity. Even the word tongues, particularly if you keep repeating it to yourself, is, is a weird word, particularly when it's used in the way it is in Scripture here. By tongues, of course, we don't mean the physical thing in our mouth, of which we only need one anyway. We're talking about tongues as in languages, as in every tribe and tongue. And over the last number of weeks, we've been studying what 1 Corinthians chapters 12 to 14 have to say about spiritual gifts. And we've now arrived at chapter 14. And chapter 14 introduces us to two specific gifts, the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. The first we're going to look at today and the second we're going to look at next week. I'm going to read the whole of the section uh, from verse 1 to verse 25. I know it's a long one, but in it we'll find entwined together insights about the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. And I trust in a helpful way we'll just unpick them uh, and look at them separately uh, over the next couple of weeks. As I read this out, uh, why not, if you will, count how many times the word tongue or tongues appears or is mentioned? Here we go. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1 says this. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds such as the pipe, or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If, then, I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me, so it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I'll also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the Spirit, how can someone else 
who is now put in the position of an inquirer, say, Amen to your thanksgiving, since they don't know what you're saying. You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law, it is written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues, then, are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, they will not say that you are out of your mind. But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Holy Spirit, I pray simply that we'll experience just that. That as we eagerly desire and use the spiritual gifts, that your presence would be so manifest amongst us that people would fall down and worship God, even if it's for the very first time in their life, and admit that God is alive and active and among us. Well, I counted 13 times uh, that tongues was mentioned in, in that passage, uh, and I hope you got roughly the same number as I did. You know, I first heard tongues at a Christian union meeting in my school lecture theatre when I was 12 years old. I'd actually gone forward for prayer and two sixth formers prayed over me in this funny language that I'd never heard before. I was amongst the gas taps and the, the bench stalls and the school blazers of an average kind of Tuesday afternoon. Now they didn't pray in English and I didn't say anything to them, which may not have been the wisest thing, but nonetheless, I returned to afternoon registration, feeling like I'd been physically inflated, like I was walking on the moon uh, and I just knew that I'd met with God very powerfully. Um, the next time I came across tongues, I was 15 and at a large Christian youth event. And after the sermon, we were encouraged to ask God for the gift of tongues. And whilst we're all worshipping and all singing out, I, I uttered my very first few syllables. That's all it was of this new language. But this embryonic gift that I had received lay dormant for many years. But I was intrigued by the experiences of some of my Christian heroes at the time. I was really into athletics as a teenager, more watching it than doing it, although I did try, but I was never particularly good. And Chris Akabusi was one of my heroes. He was a 400-metre hurdler, and I also remember, iconically, him leading the 4x400-metre relay men's team uh, to gold medal at the World Championships in 1991 also getting the British record. Well, 
he was just this infectious, friendly kind of character, but he was also a very open, committed Christian. In all his interviews, he'd reference God and his faith. And so I read his autobiography. And nonetheless, it does describe his, his coming to faith in Jesus, but also his experiences with the gift of tongues as he went to different church meetings. And it was interesting, it included a mix of excitement and enthusiasm, but also at times frustration and confusion. I thought he was very honest. I also read Jackie Pullinger's book, Chasing the Dragon, about how as a 22-year-old, she took herself off on her own with £10 only in her pocket to Hong Kong, where she wanted to bring Jesus to people. And she started uh, ministering and serving drug addicts. But she claims that it was only after praying in tongues for 15 minutes a day for six weeks that she realised that the breakthroughs were now starting to come. That some of these guys particularly were, 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 were responding to Jesus' love and following him in faith. That some of the addictions they were, they were sort of tied up in were being loosed and they were being set free from. And I was intrigued by these and other stories. Paul, in the passage we read, claimed to speak in tongues more than anyone. I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you, he said to the Corinthians. And over the years, and it's been years, I too have grown to understand, to desire, to use, develop and, and value the gift of tongues. You know, Paul's main point in these 25 verses is to discourage, to stop even, the Corinthian churches, uh, church from filling their meetings with uh, people publicly giving tongues and no interpretation coming. He wants that to stop. He's saying that's not particularly helpful. Rather, he, he's encouraging them to eagerly desire the full range of spiritual gifts, but to aim for those that are intelligible, the ones that people can understand, such as all the prophetic gifts, for example. That's why he's arguing very strongly that any publicly given tongue needs to be interpreted either by somebody else or by the same person that brought the tongue, if nobody else is going to do it, as he encourages them to think about in verse 13, so that the tongue gift is also therefore intelligible, can be understood, can then edify and build up the whole church. That's that his main point in the whole of this section. By the way, really, um, uninterpreted tongues in our meetings aren't evil. They're not demonic or bad in of themselves. Paul would just say they're pointless. It's like, it's like speaking into the air. And, and, and they're immature. It's like thinking like children, being childish, if you like. In verses 7 to 9, he, he likens this scenario to, to people le learning to play an instrument uh, but they, they're, yet a, they're yet even able to make a note out of it. There's no pitch involved. I mean, you might have grace for your kids when they're learning an instrument, you know, towards grade one. But, but really, for the rest of us, that's not particularly helpful. As it happens, I don't think that is the main issue for us as, as a church. I think, if anything, our, our challenge is, is the opposite. If we're to eagerly desire the full diversity of gifts available, then I just wonder whether we should expect more instances of publicly given tongues 
and interpretations in our meetings. And it got me thinking, I wonder why that is the case for us, and it may be the same where you are. A few things pop to mind. Firstly, I think it's a challenge with our Western mindset. See, the, the Western uh, uh, worldview wants to analyse and rationalise, yet Paul admits that tongues is mysterious. He says so in verse 2. And in verse 14, he says, it bypasses the cerebral part of our brain. And as those influenced by Western thinking, that's, that's a real challenge. We need to realign our, our mindset on this. Another reason may be that we're understandably concerned about not wanting to put visitors off. And there's a, there's a genuine sensitivity that we might have around that. But I wonder also whether at times we can be a little bit embarrassed by this weird gift. Maybe also there's an overreaction at times to this chapter in 1 Corinthians that we're looking at. But maybe also we just don't know much about it or how it works, and hopefully today will help. So what is the gift of tongues? As a definition, I'd suggest tongues is the God-given ability to speak or sing in an unlearned language. In fact, at the beginning of chapter 13, uh, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, uh, Paul explains that this can include both human languages and, if you like, angelic or heavenly ones. Um, the former happened, of course, on the day of Pentecost, uh, as a whole crowd of multilingual speakers came to the festival at Jerusalem. They, they heard these disciples of Jesus, who had now been empowered by the Spirit, speaking in their native language, in their mother tongue. And they knew they hadn't learned these languages. And they, they were quite perplexed and amazed by the whole spectacle. Similarly, I heard of a, a, another church uh, near us here in London who, uh, who testified to having someone give a tongue in a meeting and then two people, in fact, bring an interpretation all about God as Father. And then after the meeting, two other people came and spoke privately to the meeting leader to say, yeah, I'm a Swahili speaker and some of that was Swahili talking about God as Father. The other saying, I'm a Zulu speaker, and some of what was said there was Zulu speaking about God as Father. I think that was deeply encouraging for them and shows that God's still uh, distributing these kind of gifts to his children today. But I find 1 Corinthians 14 really clear and instructive about what tongues is and therefore what the interpretation of any tongue is. And that is that it's Godward. In direction. It's, it's, it's things being expressed from somebody to and towards God, directly to God. And Paul is contrasting that with prophecy, all the prophetic gifts which are the other way around. They're, they're people directed. They're, they're expressing things from God to us. Uh, verse 2 makes this particularly clear. Anyone who speaks in a tongue, it says, does not speak to people, but to God. And every other reference in this chapter concurs with that same conclusion. Verse 14 refers to tongues as prayer. Verse 16 as praising. Verse 17 as thanksgiving. That's what tongues is, by definition. It's, it's a Godward utterance inspired by the Spirit. 
So you might say then, in your experience, why is it sometimes when a tongue is brought in a church gathering that someone then brings a prophetic word straight after? And I would say to that quite simply, that's because they're bringing a prophecy and not an interpretation. You see, I believe the gift of tongues often works as a catalyst gift, as a, as a gate opener um, gift. It can unlock, it can lift the lid on a, on a distribution of spiritual gifts amongst others. It seems to release that in our church gatherings. The Bible is clear, though, that tongues are Godward. Godward prayers or praise or thanksgiving. Yes, they may contain, maybe they will always contain a revelatory element, something that the Holy Spirit is underlining in a creative, in an imaginative, in an awe-inspiring way. But they are just that. They're expressions of awe and wonder to our sovereign God. So what do we do then in that kind of scenario? Well, I would encourage whoever's leading the meeting or, or an elder in the room to, to, to explain what we've just had there is a tongue and then a prophetic word that was to God. But tongues are always, oh sorry, from God, but tongues are always to God. So let's just wait for a moment. Maybe God will give one of us the interpretation for us to be benefited, benefited from. And of course, we move forward. We learn together how the Spirit operates, what these spiritual gifts mean. And it's a good and helpful learning moment for us all. To discern, actually, when do I bring my gift? When does the contribution I'm suddenly excited about kind of fit in to what God is doing amongst us in this time? We need to learn timing and fit and waiting and the flow of the Holy Spirit amongst us as we're together. I can think of three contexts for using the gift of tongues. And the first one is when you're on your own. In reading this chapter, we mustn't miss Paul's enthusiasm for using the gift of tongues in his own personal times of devotion. It's clear in verse 5 that he'd expect uh, or would like everyone to speak in tongues when they're on their own with God. And Paul wouldn't call that a quiet time. In his experience, that would be odd because I'm sure he would be using in prayer and in singing the gift of tongues in his devotions. And his motivation for this is expressed in the preceding verse, in verse 4, where he explains that you know, using tongues in this way, it edifies yourself. It builds yourself up. It strengthens yourself. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, he says. And in this way... The gift of tongues is unique. There's no other spiritual gift that, that is, benefits the, 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 the user, if you like. Primarily, gifts are for the benefit of others. And for that reason alone, I think it should be one that we eagerly desire. Our very own David Featherstone uh, from Everyday Church explains that uh, personal tongues is useful in four scenarios. Firstly, in worship enabling you to extol the wonders of God beyond the limitations of language and even imagination. Tongues helps when we're feeling overwhelmed. You might be feeling fearful or anxious. For example, I remember pacing up and down the corridor of a hospital uh, when one of my daughters, who had 
been diagnosed with a, a burst appendix for the last 24 or 36 hours uh, was, was uh, being treated. I didn't know how to pray. All sorts of things were flashing through my mind, but I knew I could pray in tongues and God would step in. And actually at that moment, a, 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 a consultant nurse came in the room, uh, was able to get the cannula into her, which had been a struggle, and, and that was the start of her recovery. We can use tongues when we're feeling underwhelmed. Uh, I often feel underwhelmed, flat, you know, just, partic- just average when I'm start- starting prayer. I don't feel naturally, uh, or, you know, like the, the, the excited. But, but praying in tongues at the start can get me to a place of connection with God where it suddenly feels much more relational. Fourthly, tongues are helpful when we don't understand particularly when we don't understand what to pray for. For example, at the moment, praying for peace in the Middle East. I mean, where do we start? How do we pray into that effectively without just simple, trite kind of prayer suggestions? We can pray in tongues. I think that's what Paul refers to in Romans 8 when he says, we don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And the older I get, the more sceptical I am of of my initial ideas about prayer, what I should be praying for, even for things I think I know about. Actually, we need the Spirit's help in praying for almost anything. And uh, we shouldn't be surprised that tongues works like a personal catalyst gift because it's the same in the corporate setting. But in a personal way, we also discern God's will a bit sharper. We, we understand his voice a bit clearer. We receive, I think, maybe some faith, which is a bit more specific. We can pray a little bit more effectively. Context number two, then, I think, will be praying and singing in the Spirit all together. The New Testament refers to singing in the Spirit as one of the components of charismatic worship. And I I believe that includes moments when maybe most in the congregation are each lifting their voice, singing their own new song, whether, whether in their first language or in the gift of tongues, just to add to this cacophony, this wave of, of praise. And those moments when they're directed by the Spirit as our worship leader are some of the most precious and special moments in our times together. And thirdly, uh, publicly given tongues. This is when one person or one person at a time brings a tongue in a way and with a volume that demands attention. We're meant to listen to this and we know that we're meant to uh, listen to it. Now, I believe that anyone who speaks in tongues privately is able to bring a tongue publicly simply when they choose to do so. And when I've brought a tongue publicly, it's it's not because a strange word has come into my mind that I think God wants me to share. It's simply I've thought of it in the moment. And then I've had a surge of faith. I I do believe God wants me to use this particular gift in this particular moment. I might not know what I'm going to say. I don't know what it's going to mean. I'm not sure what it's going to lead to. But I, I have some tentative faith as I step out very consciously and deliberately. That's all it is. A decision. I think God wants to use this gift in this moment. 
And that's the moment when an interpretation is required, instructs Paul very diligently and firmly to the Corinthians, but also to us, I'm sure. So what is this gift of interpreting tongues? Well, I believe it's the God-given ability to understand the dynamic equivalent of the tongue and to speak it or to sing it in a language that the hearers will understand. I don't think it's necessarily a direct translation, but if you like, an explanation, an expression on the same theme. It's a bit like a Zoom call I was on recently with a Portuguese speaker, a leader of a church in Brazil, uh, myself as an English speaker, and Mauro, a friend of both of ours who speaks both languages. So uh, I'm jesting slightly, but it was a little bit like this. I would say, hello, Robert, it's really good to see you. And then Mauro would uh, go off on a few sentences in Portuguese, only for Robert to reply with an equal number of sentences uh, for Maro then to return to me and say, thank you, Tim, and to you. I think, <laughs> I, think, I think he's probably carried the interpretation each way, but maybe it's not a direct translation. Um, you know, when I pray for an interpretation, I, I'm asking God to give me the essence of what's been expressed. And, and I might not have much. I might just have that, just the, the broad theme. Maybe a phrase or two might come to mind under it. But what I'm praying when I'm bringing the interpretation is, Lord, would you help me to match the tone, to match the style, to match the intonation, to match something of the journey? Often there's, 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 a, there's a starting place and an end place and a, and a bit in the middle, and it's, 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 it, 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 it kind of evolves. Oh Lord, help me to express something of that when I bring the interpretation. I'm less worried about matching the precise length of what's been brought. Having said that, if, if it was quite a lengthy tongue and just a short interpretation, then why not wait for someone else to bring another aspect of that interpretation? If we get two or more, that's okay. If it's expressing different elements of what was brought. It's better that you, if you're learning the, uh, to interpret, to, to just bring what you have and, and, and don't pad it out and then let others, perhaps, even the tongue bringer themselves, to, to, to complement what you've brought. Well, let me just end by saying a few things about receiving the gift of tongues. Uh, when it comes to any, anything regarding the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit, I, I go back to what Jesus said in John chapter 7 when he stood up in a very loud voice in a festival of many people and he said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And that reminds me of three things. Uh, when it comes to the Spirit and the gift of tongues specifically as we're looking at today, we come to Jesus and we ask him for the gift. And we come thirsty, we come eagerly desiring the Spirit or the gift that he's offering. And we come to drink to take on board. This is an active faith that we're exercising. We're, we're gulping something down. We're, we're drawing him in. You know, it was very common in the book of Acts and in the early church for, for whole congregations, whether it's a, a life group size of a dozen in Ephesus or, or a whole uh, body of people, to receive the gift of tongues together, if you like, corporately. There wasn't always the laying on of hands or, or a prayer ministry team gathered around each individual. No, it just kind of broke out uh, as they were worshipping and responding to the message they'd heard. 
And so in a a moment, I want to help you. I'm going to pray a general prayer for the Holy Spirit to come and fill each and every one of us and to gift us or to help develop the gift of tongues if we've already received it. And if you're a Christian who's eagerly desiring this gift, I'd encourage you during the next worship song, just keep praising God with your mind. In your mind, if you like, follow the themes and the, and the, and the, and the, the lines of the song. But in your spirit, uh, begin to ask God to gift you with new vocabulary. And open your mouth and use your lungs and, and, and express something out of your heart. Terry Virgo, who's the founder of New Frontiers, said something very helpful about tongues. He said, God provides the language and the content, but we have a part to play. We do the speaking. He also likens uh, speaking in tongues to the widow's oil in 2 Kings chapter 4. That miraculously kept being poured out of this jar as what little she thought she had was poured over the lip of the jar. Let's believe that God will use whatever whatever he brings to us and and keep it flowing and increasing it and developing it as, as it spills over the lips of our mouths, so to speak. You know, when I started, I was very tentative until I realised God wasn't going to move my jaw. He, he wasn't going to waggle my tongue or, or inflate and deflate my lungs or, or do something miraculous through my vocal cords. Now, that was the part I played. Neither did he put strange words in my, my head that he wanted me to try and pronounce as if he was teaching me a foreign language at school. No, I just eagerly desired. I simply asked. I worshipped and I let what was there come out. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for this chapter and the way it instructs and inspires us. Not only about the gift of prophecy and the interpretation of tongues, but the gift of tongues in all its contexts and value and benefits. And I want to pray for each one of my brothers and sisters right now. Holy Spirit, fill them with yourself. Empower them. And come and impart to each one who's eager this gift of tongues. Come and reignite the dormant gift if it's there but has not been used for a while. Help us, Lord, to receive with faith and to step out in using this gift to edify ourselves to build ourselves up and to see the church edified when interpreted. In Jesus' name, amen.